Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we're going to be discussing parenting and how the wisdom of yoga can inform the unpredictable and sometimes chaotic life of a parent. We will be, we will be discussing wise um, practice strategies for, how, for the many challenges of parenting and how they can be better managed with the wisdom of yoga. My guest today is Sarah Ezrin, a freelance writer, yoga educator, and mama based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Sarah is the author of the book we'll be discussing today, The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect With Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. Sarah is a frequent contributor to Yoga Journal, Yoga International, and LA Yoga. She has been interviewed in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Bustle.com, and she has appeared on NBC News. She also writes for parenting outlets, including Healthline-Parenthood, Scary Mommy, Motherly, Healthline, and Mind Body Green. Sarah leads teacher trainings, workshops, and retreats locally in California and across the globe. Sarah Ezrin's website is sarahezrinyoga.com. That's Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H. Ezrin, just how it sounds, E-Z-R-I-N, sarahezrinyoga.com. You can also follow her on social media at Sarah Ezrin Yoga on Instagram and threads and also on TikTok as Sarah Ezrin. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Sarah Ezrin. I'm delighted you could join me today on the podcast. Thank you, Laurel. I'm so excited to be here because the book is like everything that you share with the world through your podcast. It was a similar motivation. What I hear with all of your guests and all of your interviews is that tying the yoga into our everyday living. And that, you know, was one of the big incentives behind the book. I mean, that and also helping us find calm, but, you know, it was like, <laughs> I mean, yes, that probably was the biggest incentive, but just the idea of tying what we do on the mat into living our lives, because, you know, as our bodies change and our time schedules change, uh, you know, our yoga becomes so much more what we're living than what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you for everything you put out there. Well, I, I love that that's your focus. And it's that's why it's great to have you on the show. <clears throat> so before we dive into our dialogue about yoga and parenting, let's begin as we mean to go on. Let's begin with a yoga moment, a moment of just being right here and right now. Oh. So let's start right where we are by bringing our attention to our bodies in space, just feeling our body, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, where are our feet? What part of our weight is supported if we're sitting, what's supported in the chair or on the cushion? And now turning our attention to the breath and just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath on the next inhale, and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. 
And on the exhale, feeling how that air is now warm as it's passed through our lungs. And just staying with the breath. Here's something to contemplate from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. On the journey of spiritual awakening, nothing is ever wasted. The painful consequences of our errors can break our heart open and allow the true self to shine the light of compassion into our life. Mistakes are like the bending branches of a beautiful tree, the way they keep turning toward the light. The seeming imperfection becomes its beauty. Once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour, Sarah Ezrin. As I said, I'm delighted to have you as a guest on the show to talk about your new book, The Yoga of Parenting. And I particularly like the quote that you have at the very beginning of the book. This is from another author, L.R. I think it's, is it Nost? K- I think it's Nost. Yeah. She's, Nost. she's one of the um, codifiers of the gentle parenting movement. Yeah. Amazing, right. amazing author. Yeah. So her book is The Gentle Parent. And it's, uh, this is the, the quote that begins the introduction to your book. Here it is. The parenting has nothing to do with perfection. Perfection isn't even the goal. Not for us, not for our children. Learning together to live well in an imperfect world, loving each other despite or even because of our imperfections, and growing as humans while we grow our little humans, these are the goals of gentle parenting. So don't ask yourself at the end of the day if you did everything right. Ask yourself what you learned and how well you loved. Then grow from your answer. That is perfect parenting. So I just love that quote, and I wanted to start there because I feel like it's such a um, it's such a present thing in our life, perhaps particularly in this era of, of social media, where we see all of these sort of happy family scenes, and of course nobody's taking the photo and posting it of the kids like melting down in the grocery store, or you know the time that you're rushing and you spilled some. I mean, you know, those aren't the pictures that get posted. So. I think this idea of attempting perfection and being a parent is a, is super common and it leads us to compare ourselves to others. And that reminds me of the quote from Teddy Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. So I wanted to ask you, why did you choose that particular quote to begin the book? I actually chose the, the Teddy Roosevelt one is in there too. President Teddy Roosevelt is that's the quote that starts the chapter on social media. So intuitively, maybe you remember that when you read it. But um, yeah, I mean, that that's, there's so many layers to it. And it actually goes back to the very first quote that you just opened us with, right, which is that here we are feeling this pressure, the societal pressure, and I don't like to gender things, but it's a little bit heavier on on the mothers and the, the those that identify as moms. 
to do it all and to do everything perfectly and to have everybody clean and the house clean and the kids clean and everybody's well behaved and everybody's following their schedule and <laughs> anybody that's ever tried to take care of any other being whether it's a dog or your child or you know your an, an elder parent you know that like you can't control another living being so you can only do the best that you can to create structure and what i think is so beautiful about especially LR Nost and, and, you know, even what, what president, uh, president Teddy Roosevelt was saying is that, you know, it's the mistakes and the errors, right. It's that, that makes us the most beautiful, that gives us the most depth, that gives us the most opportunity for growth and reaching towards the light, if you will. And when we look around and we try to fit ourselves into the box of our neighbor or that person on social media, that tiny box, that is all that you see, as you say, we're actually restricting the beauty and potential of our own growth. And it really is through the the mistakes, if you will, and the the bends and the swirls and the breaks that we are able to reach our fullest potential, which which is awesome. You know, it, it ends up being so elegant and so much more beautiful than we could have imagined. And, you know, it's just such limiting belief to try to fit yourself into your neighbor's shoes, right? Um, yeah. Yet we do it all the time. You know, we're we're forced with with those images all the time. Mm-hmm. So embracing our uniqueness, embracing our kids' uniqueness, embracing the challenging moments, embracing the beautiful moments, embracing it all. Yeah. In the introduction, you wrote, I wrote this book so that we may learn to give ourselves the same permission to be in progress as we do our children, which I thought was really beautiful, you know, <laughs> trying to give ourselves that grace. Would you say a little bit more about what inspired you to write this book and the journey of writing The Yoga of Parenting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like it goes right back to our first question. And it also goes back to my own journey as a first time mother. You know, I I am an A type. I like to have everything, you know, control is my is that's my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a member of Al-Anon, which is ch- children and family members of alcoholics. And like, where alcohol is the disease of the people that have affected our lives control is my disease, right? Because I grew up in, in instability. Um, and so control is everything. And, you know, as we mentioned from the minute, if you're carrying your child that you get pregnant, you are completely out of control. And what happened, at least for me was that, you know, I read all the books I prepared. I had the, I had my registry, you know, it was the perfect registry. I did all the maternity pictures. I did like four maternity shoots, you know, (laughs) I, I was ready. Right. And then from the second that he arrived, everything was, was completely not what I had planned. Mm -hmm. I ended up later being uh, diagnosed with postpartum anxiety, but I found that, you know, everything I went to for relief parenting books, social media, um, you know, even family members going for guidance, I kept feeling like I wasn't doing enough. Like it was like, I didn't have the answers, right? Everything was making me almost feel worse. And it wasn't until in retrospect, my kid was about, you know, a year and a half when I got the idea to write the book that I was like, wait, we don't need to know it all. We weren't supposed to know any of it. Mm -hmm. And had I been more kind to myself, you know, again, like, I I don't know, right, everything has to happen as it should. And I needed to go through those difficult periods and really beat myself up to, 
get the support that I needed to then want to write the book. So, you know, I do believe everything happens for a reason, but if I could be the the source of, of the parenting guidance for other young parents, I hope that I would be a voice of reflection and recognition and encouragement and saying to them, you know, you're doing great. Like, how are you supposed to know what to do? They're sending you home with this living creature. And if you've never, I'd never changed a diaper before my son, you know, like I have nieces and and nephews and I like literally had never changed a diaper before him. So, you know, I like, if, if I could be that voice of kindness and just plant those seeds, you know, it's just what an honor. Um, and I, I needed that reminder. So I wanted to give that reminder to parents. Mm. One of the things I really appreciate about your book is that it's such a great synthesis. So you take this wisdom from yoga, which is just woven all throughout the book, and some of which we'll get a chance to talk about here. <clears throat> but you also really um, bring in uh, things about child development, and obviously a lot about parenting, and it's just a, a really, really lovely synthesis, and also um, very, very easy to read. I found it very, you know, very accessible. You start out in the first chapter and you address the breath and then prana or life force. And you even encourage parents to set a, a, a gentle, a quiet, gentle alarm, say once an hour to just pause for a moment and breathe, since that's often what people lose track of when we actually are anxious or when we're worried or when we're just rushing, you know, we really lose track of our breath. So would you say more about the importance of noticing your breath or actually prana more widely? Because you actually make the point that not everybody can tune into their prana through uh, their breath. For some people, it actually makes it worse. Mm -hmm. um, but just that, you know, feeling that embodiment and then how what that brings to our parenting. Yeah. And thank you for, for bringing up, you know, the, the delineation that not every, the breath is not the, the key for everybody, because I think in a lot of yoga circles, breath is touted as, you know, the one and only way. And so for people who have had past trauma or, you know, there may be anatomical discrepancies in their spine that make breathing difficult, um, that it can actually be more triggering, like you said. So, you know, the, the, the key is what are we doing with the breath, right? When we're in our yoga practice or we're sitting for panayama, like what are, what are we trying to do? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to access our vital life force energy and parents are depleted. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it, it, most of us, I mean, even me who teaches energy management for a living and wrote a whole book on it, like I, I'm exhausted. And, you know, I, I, so much of it is, is that we're, we're separated from the rest of our family members. And, and many of us are trying to do this in a nuclear family structure. Um, and it's just, you know, it's like, we're basically alone, right? Families of four are, are basically alone. So how can we start paying attention as parents to what are the things that we're doing throughout the day that both fill our cup? You know, we hear about this cup all the time, right? Like you can't pour from an empty cup, but what is this cup? What are we, what are we even pouring into it? Where is it even coming from? And that's what the source of prana is. So you know, breath is a wonderful way to get it. And most of us, I mean, I know for me, I, and I say it in the book, like, I, I forget to exhale, right? I, I forget, I, I live, I do, I'm sorry, I forget to inhale. It's as I was exhaling, I forget to inhale, I do everything on an exhale. So I'm pushing, 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 pushing. But 
how many times throughout the day am I actually pausing and taking in for myself? And maybe that is as simple as a one minute timer every couple of hours or every hour. Or maybe it's as simple as getting outside with bare feet and putting your feet into the grass or hugging your dog, something that has life force. Even holding the baby can count as that as long as it's in a way that you're fueling yourself up, right? That they're not screaming. Um, and <laughs> I got, I have an Aries baby. So he's, <laughs> he's like, he can drain me or he can fill me up. Um, but yeah, it's just really getting intimate with those tank levels, if you will, so that we can start to manage it better because, you know, parenting young children is just exhausting. It just is. And, uh, you know, whatever we can do throughout the day, thank goodness for yoga, um, to fill ourselves up in some way, then we should be doing that. And it doesn't have to be complex, right? It doesn't have to be a two hour practice. It can just be feeling your feet taking a breath. Right. Well, I love how you talk about yoga as connection. I mean, that is, that is, to me, that's the biggest part of it, right? The connection, the oneness, you know, that we can feel through yoga. And of course, yoga being much broader for me than uh, just a physical practice of yoga, as we talk on the show a lot about, you know, yoga philosophy really starts there, really starts with oneness. And you, you point out that, for example, one of the things you talk about is the quality of the time we spend with our children versus the quantity of the time and the guilt that we may have. You told a story in the book of a mom who uh, ended up deciding to put her child in to daycare an extra day a week, just so that she would have a little bit more time for herself. But I think this is a real battle for a lot of people, this, this idea about quantity versus quality. Did you want to say more about that? Well, I'm nodding profusely because for those that are listening, because so that's Anusha Wajayakuma's story. And, and um, she's a phenomenal activist and speaker and um, she's amazing. We should, we should link to her in the show notes because she, she, her thing was she was overworking and um, needed to put her son into an extra day of preschool. I am currently going through this right now with my 16 month old. We just added an extra day of daycare for him. So now he's in daycare full time. And I really, this is the first week we've done it. Um, I've been really heartbroken about it. It's really hard for me, especially because when we're working and especially as a creative, like I don't really, my hours disappear in different ways and you look up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick them up at noon, you know, and then you look up and it's 4 p.m. It's been really hard for me this week, but what I keep grounding into is that when I'm with him, I missed him so much. Like, first of all, in the morning, I'm getting him a little bit earlier. So we have extra time by ourselves. And then when I pick him up from school or my husband brings him home, I am present with him in a way that we're having, if I'd picked him up a little earlier in the day, or he was still at home on those days, we would be trying to work at the same time. And even though like, consciously I understand that or you know subconsciously I understand it I still am grappling with the guilt of it but I really was paying attention yesterday you know what what today's Thursday so here we are three days into this new schedule of how much more connected I felt to him because he has this extra day and I just have to keep reminding myself of that. I mean, it's it breaks my heart to send them off every morning, but as householders who have responsibilities and we have to keep a roof over our heads in order to keep feeding our children, you know, um, 
I just have to keep reminding myself that like, it, and I'll pick him up a little earlier today, but it, it's just, it's really paying attention because I know when he was here multiple days out of the week during the week, I was not present with him, not mm. in the same way. I wasn't as appreciative of the time and I was just not present in the same way. And we just, we cannot be keyed into another being 24 hours out of the day when we are on this householder path, right? Which is this phase of generating and taking care of others, especially if you have multiple kids, you know, it's impossible to be with one of them 24 hours out of the day. You know, I could barely do like a minute with each of them when we're in the room together. So yeah. yeah, I mean, that's been speaking to, it's, I keep going back and reading what other parents have told me in previous interviews, you know, just to remind myself when I'm going through it. And um, even though I still feel heartbroken, I know in, in the depths of my soul that the time that we have is so much more precious now. And I can always pick them up at one if I really want to, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's right. I don't, yeah, I'm going to pick them up early today, but yeah, that quality over quantity, 1000%. Yeah. Well, you, you actually have a whole chapter in the book on, uh, on this idea of, of just uh, presence and what that means. Uh, presence and its association with awareness. Presence equals awareness. Our mm-hmm. being aware of where our mind is when our bodies are you know, doing whatever they're doing. And you write about being present for your child as a gift to them, but also this presence as being more present for ourselves, for all of the benefits that that brings in our ability to manage our own complexity of life with the kids and all of our other responsibilities, as you point out in the, you know, the householder stage of life. Um, you also talk about boundaries and the importance of boundaries, and that is great for kids and also for ourselves. So would you talk a little bit more about um, the importance of creating boundaries in both directions, I guess, with the kids and also with other responsibilities, sometimes needing to say no to things we might otherwise say yes to? Yeah. I mean, so the presence piece, it it all ties together, right? Every chapter feeds into the next, feeds into the next. Every lesson that we go through, every every day of our life is informing the next moment, right? Um, So, you know, in order to be fully present and fully aware, we need to not be spread so thin that our attention is being pulled in multiple directions. We have to be focused and honed on whatever it is that we're choosing to focus and hone in on. So the the idea of presence being awareness, it's really choosing where are you giving your energy, where are you getting your energy from, where are you giving your attention, where are you, you know, gaining attention from. And I think boundaries is, you know, so I, uh, there's a great um, book called Real Self-Care and Dr. Pooja Lakshman wrote, and she talks about, you know, how boundaries need to be set with another person. But I actually kind of disagree. I think that we can have these boundaries with ourselves too. It's really just in how we're interacting in the world. And what the boundary is, is it's knowing where we stop and where something else begins. And when we can really get clear on that, which is funny because it's kind of the opposite of, of yoga, right? Like in yoga, we're, we're ultimately getting to the truth that we're all deeply connected and that's Purusha, but the property of it living in this world as human beings is we need some separation at certain points. We, we need that in order to get stronger, to build our individual prana. There's so many reasons. So boundaries becomes like, what are you saying yes to? What are you saying no to? How are those interconnected? And really it's protecting prana. At the end of the day, it's all about protecting our prana. 
And when it comes to boundaries and kids, you know, I, I actually try to, I, I avoid giving parenting specific advice because I do think it's so individualized and I'm not a parenting expert by any means. But what I do talk about is how can we honor our kids' boundaries in the same way that we honor our own? So, you know, examples with boundaries is like overscheduling, right? That's this, how can we be present at one thing that we're doing, we're talking about that quality over quantity. How am I going to be present in the afternoon with my toddler if I'm having to run around the city taking my preschooler, my my older son, to 10 different things? Or how can I be present if I have him overscheduled into a bunch of different things? So when I'm able to set the boundaries for myself, I can't energetically be running around all the time yeah. and also set the boundary for him, perhaps, then, you know, that's how we're informing them through our modeling. And my youngest, by the way, is very social, which is also why he's in daycare as many days as he is. But my eldest is not. He needs tons of downtime. Mm -hmm. So the boundaries that he sets, he'll often say, I don't want to go to the park. I don't, I just want to stay home today. And I, we have to honor that, you know, that to me is, is more important than like, you know, the, I mean, limit setting obviously is important. It's very important, but like, that's what I, when I think boundaries, that's what I'm keying into more. It's like, you know, he, he wants to eat in his space without his brother invading his space all the time. That's an important boundary for him to set. And I want to honor that for him too. I want to help him tune into his own prana. So he knows what fills him up and what depletes him. And he's actually amazingly in tune with it for a three and a half year old. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, no, that's great. So I wanted to turn to this idea of tapas, which you mm. talk about in uh, uh, chapter five and a uh, chapter titled Transformation. You introduce this idea of tapas and you talk about it as heat or fire. And um, and you talk about it in the in the setting of a um, of a, a postural yoga practice of asana. But it also is one of the three main practices of Kriya Yoga, as listed in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras 2.1. Um, which are uh, tapas, um, which there is translated many times as self-discipline, along with self-study and self-surrender. Those are the three practices. So self-discipline, self-study, self-surrender. And as you say, though, tapas always has this interesting concept or, or it carries this idea of heat. So um, you describe the idea of the fire of tapas as a method of burning away all the external layers and attachments of who we think we are purifying us and returning us to our true self. You go on to write, the work is also to recognize the perfection that is already there. Mm. So would you say more about tapas, why it is an important yoga concept as it relates to being a parent? Yeah. Tapas is such an interesting one, right? Because there's the Patanjali lens, which is one perspective of it. <clears throat> you know, when the the word was first put into literature, it's it's been Georg Fierstein talks about this a lot in his books. Is that one of the earliest uh, mentions of tapas was actually in the Vedas, and tapas was used as in the same way that we would use yoga now. That was the austerity practice. That was the dis self discipline practice, as you say. But when we break down the Sanskrit word, we see that tapas is, is fire and heat and somehow it got changed, you know, maybe in our modern lens to become much more focused on the austerity side of it as opposed to the self-discipline side of it. 
So when you hear tapas a lot, like in a, in a modern day asana class, people are like, yeah, you know, this is what Patanjali's talking about is you're holding chair pose, you know, for 10 minutes. But <laughs> we're like, no, no, I don't, I'm not sure that's, that's what he meant in those moments, considering <laughs> yes. that there's like only two sutras that even use the word asana. Yes. Um, so it really is, it's, it's like, what are the, and this goes right back to the very beginning of our conversation. What are the challenging moments in your life and how are they removing the outer layers, right? You're not being formed and molded. You're returning to who you truly are. And it is through these more challenging experiences that we start to tune into what's my truth in this moment. What's my truth in this moment? Where's my heart in this moment? And so it's like, you know, where a lot of people say tapas is transformation. I think it really is this return, more of a purification, which is more like the tantric lens too. Um, I talk a lot about Nish the fish, as he's known, uh, who is a TikTok sensation and a phenomenal um, teacher of yogic philosophy. And uh, he talks about tapas as purification, right? It's not, it's not transformation. It's not molding us or changing us. It's, it's returning us, returning us to shedding of the layers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my son, we had a really scary fall about a month ago, and I am watching his light start to dim. Because now he's terrified of heights and and just any any situation. If there's an ambulance that goes by, I mean, it was we he was in the hospital. He's fine. He ended up, thank goodness, only having one staple in his head. But I've watched how this isn't anything I can control, right? I can tell him a hundred times, like we'll practice climbing. We'll do, you know, we'll we'll make sure you're safe. But it's those experiences that we start to have and, you know, or like a a friend being mean to him, these things that kind of chip away at us as we go through life that start to to dull the light that is inside of us. Mm -hmm. And then as seekers, whenever you choose to seek your path, it's getting back to it's like removing all that dirt that's been crusted on top of you mm-hmm. to get back to the pure light that was always within us, right? That we're born and brought into this world. And so it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, I love the I love tapas. I love talking about it. I like, you know, I think even the sound of their toys can be its own form of tapas. You know, it's like you're just getting through <laughs> the challenge and uh, coming to the other side to find find your truth and find their truth. Well, when I uh, think about or have um, heard my teacher, Yogacharya O'Brien, talk about tapas, um, it does have that quality of fire, even in the self-discipline aspect. You know, so for example, gossip just as an example. And, you know, it's, it can be very, very destructive to gossip. And so, um, you know, I'll be around people and they're starting to gossip and I may know something or have something that I want to say, and I really want to say it, you know, (laughs) and I catch myself because I know I don't really want to gossip. I really don't want to gossip. And to me, that's the tapas right there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the burn that I feel. It's like, Ooh, there's something that I, I really know I shouldn't do. And I really like truthfully on a soul level, I don't want to do it, but there's still like this burn of part of me that, that wants to do it. So I get the, what you're talking about in terms of, you know, the polishing or the, um, the, the ability of fire to bring out our, you know, our, our truest nature. It's just an interesting word. And it's actually really common in Sanskrit words that they have many meanings that they have, you know, that they have many meanings. So anyway, as a reminder to our listeners today on the yoga hour, my guest is author Sarah Ezrin. Her last name is E-Z-R-I-N. 
uh, Sarah Ezrin, who's a freelance writer, yoga educator, and a mama based in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's the author of the book we're discussing today, The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect with Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. You can find out more about Sarah Ezrin and her work at her website, sarahezrinyoga.com. This link will also be on our website at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via that website, theyogahour.com, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. So moving on, Sarah, to another couple of, um, of yoga um, ideas or uh, concepts. Um, you talk about uh, stira and sukha. And you mentioned, which I actually think is just so, so interesting to be in America where people, when you say, um, you know, like I have a podcast, it's about yoga. It's like, oh, I do yoga. And of course they just mean, you know, postural yoga, which is yoga. Absolutely. But it's also yoga in kind of the most narrow sense. And so on the show, we like to talk about the broader sense of, you know, yoga philosophy. So um, as you point out, there are very, very few uh, yoga sutras that talk about, that use asana at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like definitely the minority, but this stira and sukha are these two words that um, stira means steady and strong and sukha means soft, flexible or sweet. Um, and you outline in a, in a really interesting way, I thought, the four different styles of parenting, at least parenting in the Western world. Mm. And you review the research on the effects of children raised in the four styles of parenting. And you place the styles of parenting on a spectrum between this, you know, stira, the steady and strong, and sukha, which is, you know, soft, sweet, and flexible. We don't really have time to review all four parenting styles in depth, but I'd like to focus on what you label as the empathic uh, parenting style. So <clears throat> would you describe that parenting style, including where it falls on that sukha or stira, you know, uh, 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 you know, continuum between strong and flexible? And what's known about the outcomes of children raised in this style of parenting? Yeah. Um, so first, I can't take credit for empathic parent. The, the term is authoritative, but authoritarian is another style of parenting. So everything is seen on a quadrant between connection and limit setting. So I was equating connection to the sukha, the sweetness, and the limit setting to the stira of it. And when you have very strong limits and very little connection, that falls into the authoritarian category. But what we're talking about is this sweet spot between having limits, you know, as I was saying earlier, like you do need your limits, but also having connection, which in psychology circles and um, child development is authoritative. But because their words are so similar and people, I even, by the way, like, I, you know, I wrote this book very pregnant and very sick. I had an HG pregnancy and I wrote it. So like, it was like, I don't even know how this is talking about source coming through you, but I had switched them in the book and I like, I had to email my editor in a panic. I was like, no, no, wait, they've got to be backwards. So because there's a common, like even me, and I was saying like, don't confuse them because they're so commonly um, confused. A lot of people rename authoritative parenting. So so Dr. Laura Markham, who wrote Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids, and um, is the founder of AHA Parenting, she calls it empathic parenting. And so I borrow that from her yeah. because she's amazing. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this sweet spot between connection, 
and limit setting. How are you present with your kid to know what's going on, but also still creating that structure and that container and that boundary? So for example, this morning, um, my preschooler, so that's the, this is, that's the one with the, the boundaries. That's the introvert of our family, if you've been following along. Um, and he, you know, he needs space and he needs time to himself. And he was being very whiny, very demanding, very snappy with his brother. So had I gone into the morning and not knowing who he was or just forgetting because I was tired because, you know, we're human beings, I would have probably set the limit of be nice to your brother and don't be so rude to me, you know, and, and maybe just gone about our morning in that way. But because I have my meditation practice, because I know him so well, and I was able to pause. And let me tell you, by the way, like I am a human being, like there was many moments where I was like, do not speak to me like that, you know, but I, but when I felt my feet on the floor and I took a deep breath, then I had that moment of connection and I was able to remember he he's going to be away from me all day today. He's, he's out and about with my sister. They're having ant camp. He didn't sleep very well last night. I watched him on the monitor. He was up and down all night long. His brother's in his space. It's first thing in the morning. It was that moment to take a snapshot of the whole picture for me to say, okay, you can't be mean to your brother. I know you need some space right now. Would you like to go eat at the dining room table? So he's not climbing all over you because they eat on these like little ladders. That is that meeting in the middle. And it could have gone the other way too, which, which I know we don't have time to talk about all four, but the, there is another way where there's no limits, right? Where I'm just letting him walk all over me and I'm letting him be mean to his brother. And I'm just letting him do what he wants to do. And, and that's not going to benefit him either because that can feel really out of control for a kid. So having both of those in combination, the connection and the, the container has led to really strong development later in life for most kids. Their self-esteem is a little bit higher. They are really good at emotional management and energy management. They are able to be in conflict with other people and um, be able to pause. There's, you know, it's that social emotional regulation piece is enormous um, when there are both of those things, because we do need our limits, right? And kids do need that. Um, you know, so yeah, I know that was like the very long way of answering that, but yeah, no, that's great though. I mean, I, that's one of the things I appreciate about the book is you do bring this kind of information in about, you know, parenting styles, even, you know, from, from the science. And, um, as, um, I mentioned earlier, the person who, uh, helped me, uh, develop these questions on our staff has a very strong background in child development. She was very impressed, you know, with the level of information that you brought into the book. So Another two um, yoga concepts that you write about uh, from the Yoga Sutra are Abhyasa and Vairagya. And you write about letting go as an important practice when raising children. Um, Abhyasa refers to practice or effort and Vairagya refers to non-attachment. So would you say more, describe more about these two yoga concepts, Abhyasa and Vairagya in the setting of parenting, how they work together and how to balance, how a balance between the two is required as we parent our children. So many of these concepts, and I'm I'm curious your thoughts on this too, um, because you're so learned and and the sutras and specifically Kriya Yoga, they all kind of blend together, right? They're all kind of similar 
similar lesson, but in different forms. So like we just talked Sirasuka, I think of Yasa Vairagya is a little, it, it is quite similar. Um, obviously the application is different, but the idea being that you have the structure and the intention and the discipline, and then you have the letting go and the surrender and the trust, um, which I think, you know, it's, it, it just think all of these, they all inform the next, right? They're, they're all so deeply interconnected. Um, you know, so Abhyasa and Vairagya, the idea is the showing up, you know, ready to go, showing up fully, doing the best that you can in every moment, which as a recovering perfectionist is quite easy for me. I can show up and do the best that I can in any moment. I can work very hard. But where is the second half of that? So a lot of um, scholars of the sutras will describe these two concepts as two oars of a boat or two wings of a bird. And that you're really only moving forward if you're doing both of them at the same time. Right. So it's not just showing up and doing your best. It's showing up and doing your best and then letting go of the attachment to the results of that effort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In parenting, I find for me, you know, again, we go, it goes back to that control conversation. You know, I, the control part of it is easy for me. It's the letting go and the trusting that is really hard. And so much of parenting is letting go and trusting. I mean, there's that great quote, and I can't remember who said it, where it's like your heart, you know, when you become a parent, your heart is living outside of your body. I mean, this, the second that this, the cell is sparked with life you are completely out of control and you can only do so much to show up and be present and, you know, be connected and be kind and be calm. But the rest of it, the other half has to be this letting go and this trusting they're on their own path. Sometimes that path takes them away from us very early on. You know, we had a miscarriage before my first son and sometimes that path will take them to places that get really dark and really scary. Mm -hmm. But we have to trust that they are on their path and all we can do is show up and love and be present and be connected and be kind. You talk about early in the book, um, you talk about um, this pause and originally at the early um, part of your description of it, you talk about um, it in terms of sleep, you know, sleep training for kids, um, about giving kids a chance to um, you know, to solve it for themselves, like for them to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you actually bring that forward into, um, as kids get older, giving kids a chance to figure things out for themselves before you jump in as the, as I think you put it, the 24 seven, like cruise director, that's in, <laughs> that's in charge of entertaining them, but, you know, giving them a chance to figure it out or not, jumping in and showing them, oh, this is the right way to do it. Um, but giving them a chance to, again, just figure it out. Would you say, cause it, to me, that's a little bit more of like letting go of the letting go mm-hmm. part, you know, of the, of the, uh, viragyam that we've been talking about. Would you say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so it, it, cause that's, I mean, that's what it is, right? It's like, it's taking your hands off of the situation and trying to mold it as you want it. All of these are the same things, right? We've been talking about this in different forms. The, this We just talked about this in Tapas. It's backing up and letting all the alchemy and all the change happen from 
whatever experiences they're happening. So the term is La Pause. I got it from Pamela Druckerman, who wrote Bringing Up Bebe, which is an awesome book for new parents. And it is she's an American journalist that um, she has a baby while she's in France and in Paris. And she talks about the very, very different ways that Parisian parents bring up their children compared to Americans. And one of those ways is when it comes to sleep teaching, and it's not specifically sleep training, because I know that can be a real, um, you know, touch point for certain people and, and everybody has their own, their own path and their own decision. But what she says is that one of the clearest changes is in the very beginning when you, they, they bring the baby home, Parisian parents seem to take a little bit of a longer pause before responding to the baby than American parents who tend to jump in and try to soothe right away. And what happens is, at least in the research that she found, is that when they take that pause, it actually is empowering the baby. I mean, yes, we need to respond, obviously, but it, sometimes it's it's determining for the baby that the baby was just making a noise, right? Maybe the baby was actually sleeping the whole time. I had kids that cry in their sleep. They still cry in their sleep. It's like, you know, my, my three and a half year old is like calling for me. We just shared a hotel room together and I'm like, I'm right next to you. You know, like he's not really calling for me. It's just, they're loud sleepers. So it giving that pause and that space in the sleep teaching of it in those early days gives the, the kid an opportunity to show you what do they really need in this moment? Because sometimes we're jumping in and we're trying to fix and soothe and do all the things and we're actually getting in their way. So that's in the reference to La Paz and, and what she writes about. But I'm, I was thinking, well, you know, how did, it doesn't change when they get older. We do the exact same thing. And I see my knee jerk to like jump in and show him the right way to do things, you know, all the time, both of my kids especially the second, because the time management of it is very different. You know, with the second, I'm like, just get it done. Just put the ball in the hole. You know, <laughs> <laughs> We don't have the freedom that I did with my first to watch him figure it out. But what am I robbing him of by doing that? You know, and can I be, can I step back? Can I still be the container, but give him the space to kind of bounce around and to figure out the things that they need to on their own. And it 1000% is Vairagya. It just changes as they get older, mm -hmm. you know, then they become mm -hmm. teenagers and they're out there and they're, you know, ditching school or getting into illicit substances. And, you know, of course I can have, I'm going to have limits and boundaries in our home. I'm not, and I'm just thinking back to my own past and the past with the addicts in my life. But at the same time, they, they also need to feel the consequences of their action. I can't, constantly come in and, and pave the road smoothly for them. Right. So it, it just changes. It changes as they get older, but it really comes down to the stepping back enough for them to be empowered, for them to have their own experience. And then you trusting that, you know, what comes of it is going to come of it. And it's not to say you wipe your hands clean and turn your back by any means. Right. It's just a little bit of space, you know, which is uh, yoga. <laughs> Indeed. One of the things that you write about that I wanted to touch on is, is how we share our children online in social mm -hmm. media, which you, you talk about both the pros and cons of sharing our children online, or as you call it, sharenting. Would you say more about that? Yeah, so I, I can't take credit for that. That's just been in the vernacular recently. And I also want to say that I wrote this before all the recent information with AI, because there's been a whole new 
wave um, that's coming out about our children's images being used. Um, so I, you know, I think my own approach to social media is definitely going to be shifting and I need to do more research on that before I can speak about it. You know, it, it's hard because we're in, I, I wrote this during the pandemic too, right? Well, we were, we're in a place where we are so far from those we love and our villages are, are so dispersed and, you know, even if you're lucky to live near one family member, the other 30 are elsewhere, you know, or your, your close friends. So being online has this beautiful opportunity for all of us to stay connected. It's, you know, a thread that ties us together. It's a way for us to follow along with each other's lives. There is great empowerment in social media. I mean, you know, so much of uh, there are, you know, when there are invasions in certain countries, social media is how people can band together. It's how information can get out, the truth of the information of what's happening for the rest of the world. But it can also be a really dark and scary place, especially if you're, you're not sharing with intention. And, you know, given just all the information that's out there right now, you know, it's like the amount of images that are out there without kids consent, it's, it's, it's scary. And like, I do it too, you know, I've, and I, I found recently, like I've been posting more pictures of my kids and I look at my friends and other people that I, I admire who never show their kids faces who only, and yet can still be like a momfluencer, you know, or in the parenting sphere, but it's always like the back of their head or the side of their face, or it's a blurred image. And I do wonder sometimes, and maybe I will, you know, maybe we'll, we'll hear this again in a year from now and I'll have erased all the images um, that are pretty clear shots of them, but it is, it's just a constant kind of checking in and it comes back to us being present us being connected with our family members. Because the other thing that's been interesting is that a lot of these kids are growing up and they don't want their images online right. at all. <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's just, it's that continual checking in and, and connection piece and, and you have to do what's right for you, right? And not not judging other people, but really checking in with your heart, your soul, your kid, your partner, if you have one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a complicated world out there. And, you know, I, I mean, I look at my teenage nieces and like, that's a whole other book, which I will write when my kids become teenagers, but like their, then their relationships with social media, you know, and yeah. how are we, how are we protecting them and taking care of them? Um, you know, it, it all just comes back to being grounded and aware, right. And what's the intention in this moment? What's, what's my present choice? Yeah. It's a big one. It's a big, it's a big Pandora's box that's been opened, but still quite nascent when it comes to the research. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's important to talk about and to figure out in your family, what's right in this moment. Right. Well, to bring consciousness to it and not just do it something automatically. Maybe you've been sharing all your life and you don't see any issue of continuing to share when you have children, but yep. it is different. Yep. So we just have a couple minutes, but I did want to ask you about this idea of a parent modeling making a mistake or making mistakes for our kids. Um, would you say more about that in just maybe two minutes? Yeah. I mean, that's like, a, this is the biggest challenge of my day so far. And I had to get two toddlers out the door on time. 
How do you talk about that in two minutes? Um, I mean, like, let's just tie it back to that opening beautiful quote from the beginning, right? Where it's not in perfection and getting everything right and everything being sterile and on time and scheduled and and on the surface that we're going to grow from that. They, that's, you know, I think about again, like it's like Leonard Cohen, right. In that song Anthem and and that quote that you read was so beautiful and very similar, which is it's the cracks and, and those parts, you know, or Rumi, I think Rumi has a, has a quote as well, which is it's the bandage place where the light comes in. Right. So it's in the mistakes that we are actually start to branch out and grow and have different connections and have different awarenesses. So when we make a mistake as a human being, it's this opportunity for regrowth, for connection, for repair. And what better way to teach our children that than to make mistakes, own our mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? It's not about making them. It's owning our mistakes as adults. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather have my son's you know, I, 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 we don't like to yell in our household, but it happens, you know, and I like, we both came from yelling households. We, everyone's really loud here. We're just a loud family in general. The dogs are loud. The kids are loud. And sometimes the, the voice gets elevated and, and some of the houses I was raised in, you know, it would just be like your fault. It would never be like discussed or acknowledged, but in our household, we apologize. We get grounded. We talk about what happened. We say, you know, my heart rate got increased. I was having an adrenalized moment. You know, we give them the languaging for that because they're going to have reactions out in the world. And I would so much rather them have the, the languaging and the understanding that, you know, what's happening in your body, it's totally okay to make mistakes. And here's how we repair and are that much stronger on the other side. Great answer and good summary. <laughs> I'm like, was that two minutes? How many minutes? No, no, that? <laughs> it was, it was pretty darn close. So <laughs> as we come to the end of our time together, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? I mean, I just want to say like, you're doing great, right? You are doing great. And there's no expert or other parent, anybody in this world that knows your kids like you do. So really trusting in our intuition, trusting in our heart, trusting in our tummy, and remembering that even in the hardest of times, we are still doing our absolute best. Perfect way to end. You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been author Sarah Ezrin, and the book we've been discussing is her book, The Yoga of Parenting. You can find out more about Sarah Ezrin and her work at her website, sarahezrinyoga.com. We will publish this link on our website at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Sarah Ezrin, for joining me today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And and thank you so much for all that you do in our yoga community. I love this podcast and it's a real honor to get to sit down with you today. For me as well. 
For listeners, we hope you'll join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. There's online daily meditation, which happens in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, in the afternoon at 4, and Monday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word, meaning a gathering of truth seekers. That happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each Sunday. Another podcast that you might want to check out is the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien that includes presentations from classes and talks she has given. And you can find that on the CSE website, csecenter.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, you can find out more about these events and many other classes and events at the website, csecenter.org. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I, my guest will be Prav Rajika Brahmaprana to discuss Swami Vivekananda, a key figure in, in introducing yoga philosophy to the Western world, the first Swami to arrive in the United States from India who gave a speech at the Parliament of World Religions in Chicago in 1893. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying it, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember... You carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Mm -hmm.